but for kids from two to 12 years old, you have responsibilities that the parent has, it's the things that the parent can control. And then separate from that, you have responsibilities of the child and what the child can control. And so the parents are responsible for what foods are fed, when they're feeding their child and where they are feeding their child. And then the child's responsibility is whether they want to eat the food and how much they want to eat. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for your reviews. Everything that you put into this podcast to make sure that people know about this podcast means so much. I love getting to connect with parents from the PDT community on Mondays, give you some solo parenting mindset guidance once a month, and I get to chat with the most amazing guests, like my guest today, who is Kate Kersey, who's the owner and dietitian for Well-Fed Family Nutrition. And we are talking about if it's possible to create boundary setting with snacks and meals while simultaneously creating a healthy relationship with food. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kate. Thanks for having me. So tell me more about yourself and what brought you to find well-fed family nutrition and also this why this topic is important to you. Yeah. So after becoming a dietitian, I always really wanted to work with kids. Um, I specifically didn't, though, want to work with kids with weight problems. So, you know, weight that's too high or too low, because I was already aware of how harmful diets and restriction and all of that can be on children. But when I got my first job in pediatrics, I was put in a position where I was helping kids that were experiencing really fast weight gain. And I had to learn how to help them and their families because they were experiencing real medical consequences from that. So things like pre-diabetes or even type 2 diabetes and high cholesterol, things like that. And so I had to learn how to help these families actually make nutrition changes and improve their eating while also trying to help prevent those harmful aspects like dieting and a poor relationship with food and body image and all of that. And I became really passionate about that and also because of the parents, because I was seeing parents that were experiencing so much guilt and shame and concern about how their kids were eating and a lot of times blaming themselves for things that were absolutely not their fault. And it's so hard to feed kids these days. And when you're adding on stress about health or weight problems, it just makes it that much harder. Um, And I know there's a lot of confusing information out there. So I kind of see it as my job to help parents know how to set boundaries, how to create a good relationship with food, but also make positive nutrition changes if that's warranted for their families. Oh, I love this. And I love the conversation we're going to be having. Um, I love hearing how, you know, you came into your position and your role and your passion for what you do. And, you know, the topic that we're talking about is exactly what you just said, that sometimes parents get a little concerned, just say they grew up in a culture of diet culture, for example, where, you know, they were restricted of foods and then now they have a child and they want to create and maintain that healthy relationship with food, which I think is really important, you know, like when we'll talk about that, but also, creating boundaries. And we'll talk about what those are as well with snacks and meals and all of that and how those two can be done together. And I just think this is such an important and healthy conversation to have so that we can approach food, the conversations about weight, but really how we approach, you know, meal times and snack times. And are we restricting quote unquote, what are we doing? Are we allowing free range to snacks? Are we allowing free range to everything the child wants to eat? And how can we approach this in a sensitive way so that they really do have this 
favorable, great relationship with food. And I love this. And I just can't wait to talk about this. And, you know, one of the biggest things I guess I want to start out with is in your experience or your feeling, how would you describe what it means to have a healthy relationship with food? Like, what are your goals for a family, right? Like in terms of just their Mm -hmm. overall way that the child is going to approach meals and snacks, if you could put it into like a, a little phrase or a paragraph. Yeah. So I would say for me, what a healthy relationship with food means is that you are making good choices if you're, you know, old enough to be making those choices Mm -hmm. for yourself. Um, But mostly that you're just not preoccupied with food. So the biggest thing that I see is that people, especially adults that have grown up with kind of overly restricted diets or even overly permissive diets, which we'll talk about that too, but they grow up to be kind of obsessed with thinking about food all the time. And that might not even be related to how they're eating. So they might be thinking about food all the time and eating really healthy or thinking about food all the time and binging. It doesn't really, you know, go in either direction per se, but that preoccupation with food is something that I really like to limit. And I think the goal is, like I said, to be able to make healthy choices with your eating, but not be obsessed with it. Oh, I love that. That's a great way that you explained it. And so going right into it, how can we create appropriate rules and boundaries versus, you know, giving kids freedom and choices, that balance that we're trying to create in this discussion? Yeah. So I think that it is really tricky because like you said, a lot of parents nowadays are really aware of diet culture and they're really trying to avoid having food rules and restriction and all of that. And it comes from a really good place. And I'm so glad people are aware of that kind of thing now. And then on the other end, though, some parents aren't as familiar with that. And when they want their child to eat healthy, they really end up controlling things to a degree that can be harmful for the child. And I think that it is really tricky to find that balance. Um, Luckily, we do have this really, really helpful framework called division of responsibility and feeding. And that's really where I like to start with thinking about this balance. So this really applies to for kids about two years old to 12 years old. Um, Once you get over 12, it gets a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But for kids from two to 12 years old, you have responsibilities that the parent has. It's the things that the parent can control. And then separate from that, you have responsibilities of the child and what the child can control. And so the parents are responsible for what foods are fed when they're feeding their child and where they are feeding their child. And then the child's responsibility is whether they want to eat the food and how much they want to eat. Mm -hmm. So keeping those completely separate. So for example, a parent would say, we're going to have breakfast at 8am at the dinner table and we're having eggs and toast and yogurt today. And then the child could say, you know what, I don't want the yogurt, but I want five pieces of bread. And the Mm -hmm. parent would say, okay, that's totally up to you. I love that. And I mean, we'll get into a little bit more of that as well. And that's something that I think is really important in that age group. I'm curious, why is it useful two to 12 and afterwards not? I think I know, I know, but I just want to hear from you why, uh, why you feel after 12, it becomes a little more tricky. Right. So before two, it's different because children that are drinking, you know, infant formula or breast milk, it really should just be on demand feeding at that point. Um, So not controlling when you feed the child. 
Um, for 12 years old and older, I think that at that point, children have developed so much autonomy yeah. that it becomes really hard to control those things. It's still really important to have boundaries, and we can absolutely talk about that, but it looks different once you're 12 years old, just because there's only so much you can really control at that point. But I feel like if you approach feedings, the way we talk about food, snacks, all of that in a healthy way between two to 12, right? Like you can set Mm -hmm. a foundation where after 12, even though they have more autonomy, they understand, you know, that they are making choices and hopefully will, you know, they'll make choices that make sense for their overall health, you know, cardiovascular health, whatever it is, not Mm -hmm. just uh, a number on a scale, which I've talked about many times before, but I feel like it is a principal thing that can really help the overall framework of how a child and family just talks about, you know, food and, you know, uh, approach just food in general. Oh, absolutely. You know, the goal is that exactly like you're saying, so Mm -hmm. by 12 years old, around that age, they're able, all the rules are in place and all of the knowledge is in place that they're able to make good choices when they're outside of the home. It becomes a lot harder if those things are not set up by 12 and it's so much easier, like you were saying, from two to 12 years old, if you have everything set up properly, um, it just makes it that much easier as they get older. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with factor meals because they're ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Love this. And so my next question would be, what does a quote unquote healthy home environment look like? Should kids get access to sweets and processed snack foods, even if we're worried about weight or even if we're not worried about weight? You know, there are, I know even from my childhood, I think every person can say that they love cookies and chips and things (laughs) in bags, right? But we also have to respect the fact that those foods, and I like to talk it from a health aspect, we can't eat those foods every single 
meal, every single snack. So mm-hmm. how do we, how do we not put that on like a negative thing that, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're eating sweets or, or processed snack foods and let it be that it's part of our life. And how do we do that in the home? Yeah. So first of all, I would like to go back to the idea of division of responsibility. So the parent should be the one that's in control of saying when and what snacks are happening. So they're the ones saying, you know, today we're going to have cookies for a snack or today we're going to have Greek yogurt and apples as a snack. Mm -hmm. So the child is not just getting free range to graze throughout the kitchen all day. Um, The parent really should be the one kind of setting that up. And on that note, you know, finding the balance between having those healthier foods and the foods that are maybe not as desirable of options. Um, You know, a lot of people refer to them as junk food, but that's one of the things that I don't like to do. Um, But yeah, finding finding a balance there can be really tricky. Um, I think that it totally depends on the families um, and, you know, the child's reaction. But absolutely, I agree with you certain foods are just easier to like. And certain kids, even if they have no restrictions whatsoever, they've grown up and never had any restrictions around food. Sometimes they're just always going to choose some of those easier to like foods. So like a true story, I saw a kid one time that only ate ramen noodles, Um, Mm -hmm. breakfast, lunch, and dinner, ramen noodles, Mm -hmm. every meal. (laughs) And the parents were like, you know, we want to let him have ramen noodles sometimes, but this isn't healthy. Um, And he will always choose them. And I said, you know, if I didn't have my nutrition knowledge and didn't know what I know, I might eat ramen noodles for every meal. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Sometimes we do have to, well, not sometimes, we always do have to step in and say, you know, we're not having ramen noodles for lunch. We're going to have, you know, something else um, because it's just, we can't eat ramen noodles every day. And the way to talk about that with your child totally depends on their age and level of development. So for instance, my son is three years old and if he had his way, he would eat berries for every single meal and every single snack. He would never eat anything else. Mm-hmm. And so I have to limit berries in our house. Um, that's one of the things that I just can't have sitting around or he'll right. just go ahead and grab them himself. I think it's easier to think about it with berries because there's less of that whole diet culture issue going on. You know, it's not, you don't feel guilty restricting berries, but you might feel guilty restricting cookies, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, totally. I, I respect that conversation because that is something, but we kind of have to look at, balance in all things, right? Like, um, you don't, you don't, you don't want them eating. Like, I'm going to give an example. My son is obsessed with peas, which is glorious. I think it's (laughs) wonderful that he loves peas, but he is so obsessed that sometimes he cries and we don't, we're out of peas. Like I don't have any more peas or he had it already. And I'm saying this because we're talking about all foods, but yes, uh, cookies and chips get put on this negative platform of like, Hey, this is really, really bad. And, you know, we've talked so much about this. And I think in most, a lot of your account and many other dietitians I follow of how we don't want to like shame them for Mm -hmm. craving, craving foods that we even as adults love, like, come on. Like I, I think all of us can say that we've loved cookies and love berries, but we need to have things kind of in a balance in our home. So yeah. Exactly. continue on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for a really young child, like, you know, for your son or my son around three years old, I would say you can keep it so simple. They're not going to ask you a ton of follow-up questions. You can say, Ooh, yeah. Chocolate does sound really good right now. We're not going to have chocolate right now. We're going to have this other snack. 
And you really don't even have to explain. When a child starts getting a little bit older, I would try to treat it to do your best to separate the food from diet culture and all of that. So like whether it's Doritos, whether it's peas, whether it's berries saying, you know, we can't have Doritos for every meal. We have to eat all kinds of foods and keep it simple there. Um, You know, as your child's getting older, trying to keep the conversation neutral while also enforcing to them that you do need all kinds of foods um, and you can't just eat one kind of food all the time. Now, if you're not seeing that it's one specific kind of food, but it's like a whole category, you know, like ice cream and chips and just generally like highly processed snack foods. I see that a lot just because those foods are so easy to like. Um, They're so easy to eat. So in that case, as a child is getting older, you can tell them things like, you know, this um, Doritos don't have as many nutrients as Greek yogurt and granola. So we're going to have Greek yogurt and granola for snack today. Oh, I love that. And like you said, it's all age dependent, right? Like an older child, like over four or five can understand that concept a little more um, Mm -hmm. of why versus a two-year-old who's like, what? I just want it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you're, you're enforcing division of responsibility and all this kind of stuff and you're going from letting them pick meals and snacks to you being the one that picks, you can absolutely expect that there's going to be resistance. And even if you've been doing it all along, there's going to be resistance. So my three-year-old, he'll still say, I want berries. And even if we don't have berries in the house, even if I say, I wish I could give you berries, we don't have them. Sometimes he's still going to throw a fit and that's okay. Children are just learning and they're learning where the boundary is. And if you're actually going to hold it up and the more you are consistent, the less resistance you'll see. Love that. And like, I know this is not the topic of the conversation here, but what you just said is so important that in that situation where it's not on the menu, right? Let, whether it's you made a choice as a parent that it's not on the menu or you don't physically have it. When you don't physically have it, it's easier to say no because you can't go get it, right? Like just say it's you're, you're not able mm. to go. But it's also important like if it's not on the menu, like if it's not on the menu and you made that choice as a parent that it's not on the menu and they start throwing a tantrum, like I'm using, you know, I have a three-year-old also, and then you go and get them that, they are going to realize that, oh, this was easy. I just cried, 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 kept saying I wanted it. And Mm -hmm. then I got it versus like the way you're talking about in such a sensitive way, which is I see that you really want berries right now, but berries are not on the menu right now. Right now we're having Greek yogurt and maybe we can have berries later. I know you really love berries. Mommy loves berries too. Like it's not, you're not getting mad at them. You're not saying anything. And you have to kind of, like you said, you have to be okay with them not loving that boundary, but it's so important to hold that healthy boundary. And I think parents often have, a a hard time because then they feel bad. They're like, well, they really want this. And I can tell you from like grandparents, right? Like my in-laws and my parents, man, like they know that Ryan loves like your son berries. They know he loves sweets. And so when he cries for them, like every hour, they, they feel bad. They're like, oh, he must be so hungry. I'm like, he just ate a whole breakfast. He knows that if he comes to you and does a puppy dog face that you're going to give it to him. And so I had my mother-in-law One time I'm like, mom, trust me, just say no very calmly, give him a hug and he'll stop asking. And like clockwork, he stopped asking because he knew that there wasn't going to be a grandma who's going to be like, okay, sweetie, and sneak him these snacks, you know? And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it is, it is a concept of just 
also just respecting the timing, respecting also just the boundaries. And so, yeah, I see this all the time and boundary setting can seem so hard, but like you said perfectly, when you do it enough, you're going to start to see less resistance and then you're not going to have as many of these quote unquote battles during snacks and meal times. Of, I want this. I don't want this. Of course, they're still going to happen to some degree, but um, it's going to feel much less. And I, I can attest to that from my experience as well, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think kind of what you're along the lines of what you were saying, we want to stay on their team. Yes. So you expect a lot more resistance. Like, so my son, he loves chocolate too. That's one of the other things he loves. And we have chocolate all the time. Um, but sometimes we're not going to have it at every meal, like we talked about. Um, and it's gotten to the point now where he'll say, you know, I want chocolate and I'll stay on his team by saying, Ooh, yeah, chocolate. I love chocolate too. Yeah. Um, we're not having chocolate right now though. And, you know, I used to see the whole tantrum thing after that, but at this point he goes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, then he yeah. On, and he's only three, but he already has that skill. Cause he kind of expects me to say that at this point. Um, and the way that you can make sure that they're not too restricted though, is that sometimes I'll just surprise him, but he'll just have chocolate on his plate with dinner. I uh, love it. I'm um, sure he's like, what is going on? This is amazing. But but it becomes because you just add that in as a parent, it doesn't become like a again, like a restricted forbidden fruit type situation where you're uh, like, oh, I never get this chocolate. And it's this I put this on a pedestal. Right. I, I agree. I you know, my husband and I don't meet eye to eye on how we approach feeding. I'm very much like you that I don't think we should restrict so many things. Like I will randomly bring a cupcake home or make a tray of muffins or cupcakes when my husband's like, we shouldn't be giving him so much sugar. And I'm like, sweetie, when he sees it, when he never gets it, he's going to go buck wild eating like seven cupcakes. So I really want to normalize it. Sometimes we have cupcakes because gosh, they're so good. Like a funfetti mm -hmm. cupcake. I mean, come on, they're delicious. But um, like you said, just kind of surprising them with like a chocolate on their dinner plate, or sometimes I'll put, he loves muffins. So I'll put a muffin with his breakfast, with his eggs. And he, he doesn't even at this point, because it's so normalized, I don't know about your son. It's not even like a big production. It's literally like, oh, cool. There's a muffin and I'll eat it. There's no like, oh my God, muffin, muffin. It's like, okay, there's a muffin and I'm going to eat it. And that's cool. And then I won't be pining for it as much, you know, because I get it when it's part of the rotation, which is awesome. Yeah, exactly. And like, even, you know, the other day I put some chocolate on his dinner plate and I didn't get any for my husband or myself because we were like pretty much out. Like it was just uh -huh. one little square of dark chocolate. And I think when I first started giving him chocolate, you know, when he was around two, he probably would have gobbled the whole thing up right away. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but instead he split it into That's thirds so and tried to hand us some and said, oh, you need chocolate too. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad that, you know, you don't feel like this is such a restricted item yes. that you need to like gobble it right up. Um, but you can even share it with other people because you know you're going to get it again, probably tomorrow or the next day. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that because that's exactly what I, I saw too, right? Using the cupcake example, like I didn't really introduce a lot of cupcakes before, like I would say one and a half, two, like, you know, a lot of that. But after two years of age, it was very normal for us to have, you know, added sugar here and there. You know, I don't really count numbers, like in terms of like, I just kind of have a balanced um, structure, but you're right. Like, it's so sweet that yes, if you create it as this pedestal and restrict it so much, then they feel scared when they do have it, they don't want to share. And that, oh gosh, that's such a sweet story of him sharing with you. <laughs> The final, the final piece. Uh, that's such an endearing thing. So I guess my next, you know, kind of pivot of this conversation is now if a family is concerned about 
Let's do two. It, it, the, the answer might be similar. So if a family is concerned about their child's weight, um, let's say the weight being on the higher end of a spectrum. So, you know, a pediatrician or dietitian is concerned that maybe their percentiles are going like really high, you know, in terms of um, from the last visit. And there needs to be a conversation about the feeding when we're concerned about weight or to same degree, maybe a family is concerned that the child is leaning in more onto processed foods or snacks like that, like we're talking about, how can we approach this sort of feeding our kids if we're concerned about weight, if we're concerned about them going too far on one spectrum of eating, um, what would be the best way to start there? Yeah. So on the higher end, I would say, well, ideally I like to have these conversations without the child present. And I know Mm -hmm. that that's really tricky as a pediatrician for you. I don't even know how you would accomplish that. Um, but that is something that I'm able to accomplish. And what we usually talk about, I just ask them what they think is going on because pretty much all of the time, the family, like they suspect that things aren't going optimally. Um, a lot of times there's like stress going on in the house or there's something going on that's, um, caused this change to happen, um, relying more on like convenience foods and stuff like that. And really the advice does not change based on weight. So, I just reinforce that division of responsibility. You know, we're trying to make sure that you are the one in control of deciding what is served and when it is served um, and upholding that. And then possibly also talking about how do we make some of the, the choices ones that will support your child's appetite in a way that they will be satisfied and they won't feel the need to go back and get snacks and snacks and snacks all day long. Love that. And kind of going on that, what do we do if your kid does seem to always be hungry or always snacking? Yeah. So if they genuinely do seem hungry, I think the first thing that I look at is what is being served in meals and snacks, because you need to make sure that they're well balanced. Um, You know, ideally you want snacks to look like miniature meals. Mm -hmm. So you want to have that source of protein. You want to have some carbs some fat, and then also some fiber. So you want all of those things to kind of be filling up their belly and keeping it full so that they're not immediately hungry afterwards. So for any child, if they just have like a banana for a snack, it's very reasonable that they will be hungry 30 minutes to an hour later, or maybe not even ever full in the first place. Um, So, you know, adding something to go along with that, whether that's like some Greek yogurt that's Mm -hmm. like full fat Greek yogurt or even some peanut butter to add in some some of that fat too. just making sure that those meals and snacks are well balanced. Love that. So adding a fat or protein source with snacks would be kind of where you would go. Like you're giving the example of a banana. So specifically for a child, if you're concerned that their weight is too high, I always want to make sure there's a protein Mm -hmm. and and a source of fiber. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, keep making sure there's some amount of carbohydrates and fat there as well, but not like favoring those necessarily, if that makes sense. Yeah. And besides peanut butter, what are some other f- your go-to favorites um, for, I guess, or even just for snack time, like proteins? Um, cheese. Yep. Dairy in general. So whether it's like cheese sticks or cottage cheese or yogurt um, or even milk, all of those are really good options for protein. Eggs. If your child is a meat eater or a bean eater, those kinds of things are also good. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence 
whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Are you tired of searching Google and ending up in a rabbit hole at 2 a.m. thinking that you're ruining your kid? Stop and visit peedsdoctalk.com. My website is your new Google with a search feature to search all content that I have that is free or available by purchase. And let me tell you, there are a lot of free goodies there, like free printable PDFs for how to handle a choking incident to milestones to monitor in your kid. My website provides information regarding the health and development of your child, including parenting and sleep. My goal is that you stop those middle-of-the-night searches that lead you nowhere but into the land of anxiety. My goal is to guide you to be the confident and calm parent I know that you are. Make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and use the magnifying glass to search. Want even more? Make sure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting pedsdoctalk.com newsletter, where you can get the latest and greatest in child health news and parenting tips delivered directly to your inbox. That's pedsdoctalk.com newsletter. And then for fiber, fruits, vegetables, and whole grains are my main choices. So whether that's like whole grain crackers or a piece of whole wheat toast, um, just something that gives them some of that fiber as well. Love that. This is so great. And like you said, it kind of goes back to that division of responsibility, like, hey, this is snack time. So what do you do? now that you've set up the idea of what you're serving, right? Just to make sure that you're not just serving things that are causing them to be hungry. Anything else that would be kind of the next step of approaching that child who you did this, maybe you changed the types of food, but they're still maybe always wanting, you know, to snack. Yeah. I think that in that case, consistency is usually Mm -hmm. the next step. So um, usually with families, I don't see people limiting the amount of snacks that you can have in a day. So, um, I usually do see a lot of grazing. So that's something that I really try to reinforce, like between breakfast and lunch, you really only need one snack time. Mm -hmm. Having it be a sit down snack where there's no screens, um, where you're really able to focus on the food itself, on tasting it, feeling what's going into your body, and also making sure that that child's portion sizes are not limited at all. So, you know, if you just give them like one banana with some peanut butter and they finish the banana that they might still be hungry and they might need something else to go with that. So just making sure that they really have the opportunity to fill up their belly with all kinds of different, you know, all of the different nutrients that we just talked about. And then after that, it's really going to be about their body getting used to it. So a lot of times I see kids that are not used to going more than like 30 minutes without eating. And your appetite hormones are something that 
it can be tricky to change. So mm -hmm. if your body is really used to eating every 30 minutes, you're going to have an adjustment period where, yeah, you are hungry and that can be a little bit, you know, uncomfortable. So just giving your body time to adjust and allowing it to develop the ability to go a little bit longer without eating is key. So have you had to work with families that like, just say that you talk to them about the types of foods, like we just mentioned, have you had to have it where they, you know, just say their child ate a snack at 10 and then at 1045, they want another snack, but the family did serve something, like you said, that's balanced with like a, you know, protein. Mm -hmm. Um, like you said, um, have you had to tell them like, Hey, we have to push them off a little bit or like, cause I, I, a lot of things I hear from parents are like, well, they're hungry. I feel so bad not feeding them when they're hungry, but also we're trying to create this routine, right? We're trying to create like some sort of a routine where we're not snacking. So mm -hmm. what is that balance there? I guess, if we could try to find that. I don't usually see that being too much of an issue but, if, if you're doing the other things. So if you're yeah. providing a well-balanced snack and you're also, you know, having it be a sit down snack, yeah. um, you're not like, they're not riding in a stroller while they're eating the snack. They're not in the car. They're not in front of the TV. Um, they're really able to like actually focus on what they're eating and it's also well-balanced. I don't really see that as a, as an issue. Awesome. And going back to the, what you just said about the, like mindfully eating, like being mm -hmm. at a table and eating, does that just help because of like, they're focused on the meal, they're focused on hunger cues more versus like being on the go or being distracted by television mm -hmm. or something like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So especially, you know, on both ends of the spectrum on kids who struggle with their appetite being too low or too high, I find that being away from screens, being able to really concentrate on what you're eating for a child that is a smaller eater. Um, they might just be eating until they're not starving anymore and then kind of mm -hmm. move on back to like, you know, back to their video game or whatever. And then for a child that tends to have a larger appetite, they might end up just continuing to eat past the point where they're full if they're distracted. So not having distractions can really help kids pay much better attention to their appetite eat until they're full, but not go past that fullness. Great. Yeah. I, I love to clarify that because I agree. That's awesome. And then the last, this is such a great conversation. I love talking about this stuff because it just really feels, you know, obviously we're talking about, it seems like, okay, yeah, we do that. But I think for a lot of parents listening, sometimes we're like, wow, yeah, like I'm not doing that. And maybe I should do more of this. And mm -hmm. I see that the, the foods that I'm serving at snack times tend to not be mini meals. Like you said, they tend to not be as balanced, right? Like, and it's not any, it's not a fault of anybody, but sometimes, you know, snacks tend to go towards, like we said, packaged foods, easy snacks, like things on the go. And those, those tend to not be as balanced as what you're saying. And sometimes mm -hmm. even just pairing those things, like sometimes we'll do, like, like you said, like sometimes it's a, a mix, we'll do yogurt, but we'll also serve crackers, right? Like from a packaged crackers that he really loves, like these cheese crackers. So there's a balance there of, you know, something he really likes, but also something I really need him, you know, to be exposed to, which is things like yogurts or um, other things like that, cheeses and things like that. But it's so important to kind of go back to what are we serving? And I think sometimes we forget that balance is really key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like you said, it's not convenient a lot of times yeah. to do these balanced snacks. It's, it's really a pain. And I think that parents take on a lot of this blame and this stress. And we're talking about these strategies. In an ideal world, we wouldn't even have to talk about these strategies because our country would be set up in a way that supports healthy eating. But, you know, with diet culture and with all of the super highly palatable foods that are out there, it makes it really tricky. 
and with how busy parents are. But absolutely, I, you know, I think there are some options that make it a little bit easier. So like on the yogurt note, there are some like, you know, those pouch yogurts that are whole milk pouch yogurts. I actually really like those. I put them in the freezer and then I take them with us um, wherever we're going because it can stay good for a long time. Um, same with like cheese sticks. They can hold for a long time. Not everything needs to be like fresh, unprocessed yeah. foods to necessarily have that good balance to it. So um, I think that finding foods that work for your family is the most important thing um, and not feeling guilty for relying on convenience foods because I know I do that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. I guess my, there's so much that I would love to talk to you about, but I wanted to really tackle another concept that, um, I think a lot of parents can relate to, which is emotional eating. And so Mm -hmm. in children, you know, what are some things that contribute to emotional eating? I know as adults, uh, many adults have emotional eating. And also after you talk about that, just some ways that we can, you know, approach this, um, in a, again, sensitive way of understanding what's happening and kind of how we approach snacks and meals this way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the biggest factor for emotional eating for children is their emotional coping skills. Mm -hmm. So if a child has a lot of emotional coping tools in their, you know, toolbox, so to speak, emotional eating is not going to be as much of a problem. So for instance, if a child is sad and they know how to deal with that emotion without relying on food, a lot of times they're not going to become as much of an emotional eater. Um, I think actually one of the trickiest emotions that I see is boredom. Yeah. I was just going to ask about boredom. I was like, do you include boredom in this definition? Because I see it all the time too. Yeah, absolutely. Especially especially in summer because of like the summer, like when I get, we see a lot of this in pediatric practice that um, I'm being honest, like in the summer, because of how hot it is in Florida and also that children are home more and bored, they tend to they tend to eat more and be active less. And so it's like mm-hmm. the inverse of what we kind of want in terms of balance. And so we see a lot of children put on a lot of unproportional weight um, over the summer. When I say unproportional, meaning children are going to gain weight, but we're talking like jumping very high uh-huh. on percentile curves. Um, and so, yeah, I would love to address the boredom aspect too. Oh, I've absolutely seen the same pattern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. Um, so Board eating, I think, you know, once again, going back to division of responsibility, picking up a snack is you can make that not allowed to be a solution for boredom. Mm -hmm. So if you have a consistent snack schedule and you're saying, you know, like snack time is at the dinner table at this time, um, you're not going to allow grazing in between. So that's usually what happens as a child just gets bored and they get up and go to the refrigerator and grab something to eat just to kind of like keep them entertained. Um, But if that's not an option, you know, they'll be able to turn to some of those other, you know, or develop other skills for coping with that boredom. Like, you know, boredom is a very uncomfortable emotion. So learning, learning to deal with being okay with being bored is a real, really valuable skill to have. Oh, I love it. And it's something that I, you know, we're talking about this being important, not even just for the two to 12, but above 12 year olds too. Right. Like I, I remember boredom eating, like when I was in high school and I think all of us can agree that even as adults, we boredom eat and really, like you said, learning the coping skills without it. And that's why I love addressing being okay with boredom, frustration tolerance. I love talking about these things for the younger toddler as well. Right. Like the two to five year old. Um, It doesn't mean that you do this 
teach them about being okay with boredom and that they're always going to not boredom eat, but it's, it can help for sure. Right. Like you said, channeling the emotions and boredom to something else. Um, I love that. And so this is just such a great conversation. Is there any other final message you'd want to add along those lines around anything that we discussed um, for our listeners today? Yeah, I think for emotional eating, you know, there are some other things that I think more people know about, like not using food as a reward, for example. That's one of the things that we really don't recommend. Um, Also, not using taking away food as a punishment. Mm -hmm. So sometimes parents will say, you know, you're not going to get dinner or sorry, not you're not going to get dinner. You're not going to get dessert tonight if you keep talking back to me. And then Uh, they'll take away dessert. And now the child has learned that dessert is something that they only get when they're good. And we don't want to create that kind of relationship with food where, you know, a child is feeling like the way that they act determines what they get to eat. It should be completely separate. Um, And so I think that using food as a reward is one of the more obvious things, but taking away food as a punishment can be even more damaging. I would also say that if your child is already an emotional eater, shaming them for doing that is going to be one of the most reinforcing things that you can do. So, um, for instance, if you find that your child is, you know, sneaking food or something like that and you shame them for it, that is going to make them more of an emotional eater um, because, being shamed is an extremely, it causes so many negative emotions. And if your child is already an emotional eater, they're going to turn more to food. And we really, like I said, we always want to be on our kid's team. So if a parent does find that their kid's an emotional eater, approaching it with like curiosity and kindness and compassion is going to go a lot further than, um, you know, punishing their child or reprimanding them for it. Oh, and you're bringing up such great points about the shame because shame in raising children can show up in so many ways that sometimes parents don't realize. And bringing this up as an example is so important because it does hold strong as that child gets older. I mean, I think if as adults, we can all sit back and think about the things our parents may have said or done and think about that shame that could have caused. Um, And like you said, we want to really be on their team. It's so important. And when we are on their team, we're going to see the choices they make. We're going to be able to have these conversations in a healthy way. They may even share their chocolate with us when they know that they're on the same (laughs) team as us. I just think it's so beautiful. So thank you for the way you approach this so beautifully. So in such a sensitive manner, I really appreciate this conversation today. Yeah, it's been wonderful to chat with you. So where can my guests find you, you know, for your resources and tell us more about what you have to offer at Well-Fed Family Nutrition? Yeah. So my website is www.wellfed.family, not .com, .family. Um, So people can find me on there. I do one-on-one nutrition counseling um, in Georgia only at this time. Although, you know, if people message me, I'm open to getting licensure elsewhere. Um, I'm also coming out with a course in January for just how to feed your family well, especially if you're concerned that your child's weight is too high or too low. Um, And people can also find me on Instagram at wellfed.family. Beautiful. And we will attach all of those links for all of you listening today. And I really want to thank Kate for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. 
And for everyone listening, I'm sure you really enjoyed this conversation. I love talking about this, especially with experts in the field. It's just so important to have these conversations on this podcast for all of you to hear so that you can approach meals and snacks in a healthy way. So if you like this episode, make sure you leave a review and call out this episode, especially Kate and her resources on how amazing it is. It means so much to this podcast and for it to continue to grow when you leave those reviews. And I cannot wait to talk to another guest next week. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review, share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.